Thank you for tuning in to the podcast of Western Heights Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. We exist to exalt Christ, equip the church, and engage the community. For more info, visit whbcwaco.org. I was in uh, Walmart into uh, September, 1st of October. I think I was over in the garden section or the pet section. And I'm beginning to notice they had a lot of decorations out for Halloween. You know, and there they were, you know, the pumpkins, the scarecrows, the jack-o'-lanterns, and uh, all the other things. And, uh, and I was, you know, that was okay. I figured, you know, it, you know it's October's coming up, Halloween's coming up. And, and then I began to notice right next to the pumpkins and the scarecrows and the vampires and all that stuff was Frosty the Snowman and Santa Claus and Rudolph and all that. And, and I, I said, well, I guess Walmart's ready for Christmas this year. Now, I have a policy at my house. We do not celebrate Christmas until we've celebrated Thanksgiving. I like to do my holidays one at a time uh, to get in there. So, you know, when we eat the turkey and we said that afternoon, we can put the Christmas tree up. Uh, if my wife is, you know, if she persuades me to put it up, I'll put it up. Uh, so, uh, you know, so, so, so we do that. Um, that's the rule of thumb, you know, one at a time. You know, not, I don't have anything against those of you that like to celebrate months in advance, but if you do, you might have a problem. Uh, you might be suffering from a disease that I call Christmasitis. It's something where you're getting ready for Christmas three months in advance. So I've given a little test. I've given a little questionnaire for you that, that might help you determine if you have this disease, all right? So I want you to, I'm going to ask you five questions. You give a point for each, each one you answer, all right? Here they are. Do you have more than five giant inflatable lawn decorations? All right? Do you buy any of this year's Christmas presents at the after Christmas sales last year? Do you leave your Christmas lights up all year and try to pass them off as holiday lights? Have you ever bought an artificial tree because real ones don't last for three months? Do you rent or own a shed or storage unit because you have more decorations than your house can hold? Now, let me get serious with you. Are you ready for Christmas? I mean, are you really ready for Christmas? Typically, when we ask that question, we say, you know, is the tree out? Is the tree decorated? Are the decorations out? Are the lights hung outside? Have you got all your shopping done? Are your Christmas presents, are your Christmas cards sent? Are all your presents wrapped? Have you completed your checklist? That's when you know, okay, I think I'm ready for Christmas. However, what I want us to consider this morning is not whether we're ready for those things. Are you ready for the spiritual aspects of Christmas? Are you ready for Jesus? Are you ready for him to come? In the, all four of the Gospels, we have this portrait of an individual who came before Jesus. His task was to prepare the way. We know him as John the Baptist. And he comes before Jesus, and basically his message is, get ready for Jesus. So open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 3. As we look at Matthew's account of John, in verses 1 through 10, and we're going to look at these words this morning under the heading, Are You Ready for Christmas? And in this passage, we're going to see four key words that will help us be ready 
for Christmas. Let's read what Matthew has to say. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the desert of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. This is he who is spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the desert, Prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. John's clothes were made of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. Doesn't that just make you go yum, yum? Locusts and wild honey. Okay. People went out from him, uh, went out, went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warns you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not think you can say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Four key words. The first key word is prepare. Uh, we have mentioned some things that we have to do uh, to get ready to, to prepare your house for Christmas. You know, in order to prepare your house for Christmas, there's some things you have to put away to make preparations for others. In our house, for the, the 1,500 manger scenes that my wife has, there's things that have to be removed so the manger scenes can go in that spot. If you're like us, there's a furniture that has to be moved to put the Christmas tree up. There's things that have to be arranged, prepared, so that we can get ready for Christmas in our house. Where, uh, Matthew mentions an individual in his gospel. He talks about John the Baptist. In verse 3, he, he talks about this one whom the prophet spoken of, a voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. It might benefit us to go back and look at the Isaiah passage. In Isaiah chapter 40, verses 3 through 5, this is what the prophet Isaiah said. A voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight in the wilderness a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low, the rough ground shall become level, the rugged place is a plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all mankind together will see it, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Matt, John makes it clear, or Matthew makes it clear, that we ought to prepare the way for the Lord. He emphasizes that in verse 3, prepare the way for the Lord. In the original language is that the idea was well, preparing was a clearing out, uh, making it, it straight. It would be a, a, the idea of a dignitary about to make their way. You know it in advance, so you go out and, and you, you make the rough places smooth and you, you may have to take away fallen trees. You may fill potholes in the ground. You want it to be as smooth as it can be for the arrival of this dignitary, for the arrival of this king. So you make the rough spot smooth. You clear it out. Sometimes they'd even cut back mountains and fill in valleys so it'd be a, a straight path for them to come. What it, but what, is, what, what Isaiah is referring to when he tells us to make our path straight we can find the answer in Isaiah chapter 26, 7. He says, the path of, right, of the righteous is level, 
O upright one, you make the way of the righteous smooth. To prepare a smooth path for the Lord, we must be righteous. We can't really be prepared for Him if we're not righteous. So we've got to clear out the sin. We've got to get rid of the stumbling blocks in our lives that make it possible for God to come. John says the King is coming. He says He's coming, so you've got to make sure that you are ready. How do we do that? How do we prepare? That's where the next three words come into play. The second key word is the word confess. Confess. Look at verse 6. It says, people were coming out to him, confessing their sins. Confessing seems like such a little thing. It seems like, you know, why do we make a big deal about it? After all, God is all-knowing. He knows everything in advance. He knows before you confess anything to him. So why is there any need to confess? To be honest, most of us when we pray, we skip right over the confessing part. You know, God already knows. Uh, we either skip over it or we don't give it a, a, a lot. And we, we may say something like this, Lord, forgive me if there's any sin in my life. That's not confession. That's not admitting to anything. To confess means to acknowledge or admit that something you have done is wrong. It's admitting something specific and saying, I have done this is wrong. Look at it this way. If you go down to the police station and you walk into the police station and you say, I confess, I did it. The next question they're going to ask you is, what did you do? You see, confessing in general is not really honing up to anything specific. They want to know, what are you confessing to? What crime have you committed? They want to be direct and specific. So why do we confess if God already knows uh, what we've done? Well, first, because it's biblical. 1 John 1, 9 says this, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So it's biblical, but it even goes further than 1 John. It goes all the way back to the Old Testament. If we go back to the Old Testament, we'll see that God's way of forgiveness hinges on the condition of whether we truly confess all of our wrong. In the tabernacle, before the people could go into the most holy place and, and make a restitution for their, their sins, they first had to bathe and wash themselves before they could go in. But even before they could do that, they had to offer a sacrifice, a confession of their sins before they could even go in to the most holy place. God had a, a certain order in which things were to do, certain things they had to do. They had to get specific about their sins. That's why I'm beginning to think, I go back and look at the Old Testament and realize that the public confession has occurred with that. If I, if I said this morning, this question, if you sin this week, please raise your hand. How many of you raise your hand? By the way, let's just do that, okay? Let's just do it. If you sin this week, raise your hand. Okay, I see almost everybody's hand has been raised. What if I ask this question? If I ask you, what sin did you commit, would you tell me? You see, now that's a little bit more personal. That's a little bit more private. We're, we're okay saying, yes, I've sinned in general, but we don't want to get real specific about the sins that we have done. Uh, that's where we don't want to do that. We think that confession is to be personal. Is it really? 
Is there really? There's a passage over in James chapter 5 verse 16 that says this. It's in the Bible. It says, therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. That tells me that confession is more public than we make it out to be. Now, do not misunderstand what I'm saying. I don't think we need to broadcast our sins. I don't think we need to just broadcast them so everybody in, in, the, in the church, everybody in the community knows what sins we commit and what we're confessing to. But I do think what it's telling us is, is find some other brothers and sisters in Christ who you can confess to and you can pray with and they can pray for you and hold you accountable for your actions. I think that's biblical. I think it works. It's called being a family. It's called being a community. It's called having a support system that holds us accountable to the things that we do wrong. And we can pray. Imagine that person say, hey, how you doing this week, man? I've been thinking about you. You know, anytime you're having that struggle, give me a call, man. I'll pray with you. It's holding one another accountable. And I think if we, what's really amazing to me, if we take a page out of the book of the Israelites, it's pretty specific what sin they committed. You know how? Because God had a specific sacrifices for every sin that you committed. Can you imagine the people standing in line and they're holding their sin offering? Everybody goes, well, I know what he's uh, confessing. You know what they've been doing. It wasn't a secret. The people knew by the sin offering that they were giving. But I also think it must have been encouraging to other Israelites as they looked around and said, hey, they're struggling with the same thing I'm struggling with. Hey, they don't have their act together either. It makes me feel better that I'm not alone in this problem that I'm having. It's good to see that others are struggling just like I am struggling. I know it's not easy to accept. It's hard to get specific and it's even harder to confess to each other. But it's so freeing. It sets us free because the devil will do all that he can to keep you locked in a prison of unconfessed sin. He will do everything in his power to keep you slave to it. He knows the power of confession. He knows what it's all about. He knows the power of confession. And every great revival starts with prayer. And prayer should always start with confession of our sins. That's the way it works. If we're going to have revival, we've got to confess. Which leads to the second word in our passage. The third, uh, third, uh, third word. The third key word is the word repent. As John was out there baptizing the people who were confessing their sins, the religious leaders make their way out to him. The Pharisees and the Sadducees, they make their way out to him. They're not coming out there to confess. They're not coming out there to be baptized. They're coming out there to check John out. They're coming out there to investigate what John is doing. Look at what he says in verse 8. He says, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Notice that repentance comes first. You've got to repent before you're able to produce the fruit. I know what you're thinking. He just told us to confess. Isn't confessing and repenting the same thing? Well, not exactly. It isn't the same thing. 
repentance is taking confession to the next level. It's the next logical step. Let's look at it this way. How many of you had children growing up that obeyed everything you said? Anybody? Okay, then this is probably for you. You'll probably catch this one, okay? Let's say you had, you, you had a, a boy, a, a son, and he was always hitting on his little brother, okay? And you tell him, I said, I told you to quit hitting on your little brother. And then one day you actually catch, catch him in the act of hitting his little brother. And he hits him, and you get on to him, and he comes to you and says, Oh, Mommy, Daddy, I'm so sorry I hit my little brother. You forgive him. And then within five minutes, he goes right back over there and hits the little guy again. But he's confessed. He's confessed that he did it. Do you think the little guy's going to get in trouble again? Your dog gone right, he's going to get in trouble again. I'll show him what hitting's all about. Yeah, that's exactly what is going to happen. You see the difference, there's a difference between confession and repentance. Confession is admitting that you did something wrong. Repentance is changing the way you're behaving. To repent literally means to turn back or to change. You see that you're doing something wrong, but you actually do something to make a difference in your behavior. We're confessing, but, but we're, we're guilty of not doing anything to change our behavior. And we've got to avoid this trap as Christians. I wonder if God looks at, looks at us the way we look at our children who swear they are sorry, and then go and do the same thing we just yelled at them for. I'm sorry, Daddy, that I committed this sin. And then we go right back over there and do it again. I wonder if God looks at us the same way. But you know what God gets really excited about? He gets excited about repentance. Matter of fact, he talks about a shepherd who leaves the 99 and he goes finds one lost sheep. And then he brings him back. And, he, and you know what? He throws a party over this one lost sheep that was found. And Jesus said these words, I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Listen, confession is not enough. There has to be repentance. There has to be a change in the way you live, in the way you do things, in the way you behave. And Jesus gets excited about repentance. As a matter of fact, heaven throws a party over those who repent. First key word, confess. Second key word, repent. This leads to the third key word, which is produce. Verse 8 again, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. That is the next logical step. We confess our sins. We repent of our sins and we change our ways, which leads to us producing something positive, producing fruit. Now, what kind of fruit is, is uh, John talking about here? I think there's two ways. As he's talking about the internal fruit, but he's also talking about the external. The internal is what we would call the fruit of the Spirit, as revealed in Galatians chapter 5. You know, true confession and repentance lead to love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control that naturally flow out of our lives. Here's what John is saying. You say you're repenting. Show me. Show me the change in your life. 
Give me evidence of the change in your life by the way you live. You ever been around somebody that calls themselves a Christian, but yet they're mean, they're bitter, they're unhappy, and they're generally just unpleasant to be around? You ever been around those kind of people? Yeah, typically, these people have gone to church their entire life. They've grown up in church. Uh, matter of fact, their parents went to church. Their grandparents went to church. So instead of relying on confession, and instead of relying on repentance and, and, and producing fruit, these people are banking on church attendance to get them to be with the Lord. That's what they're banking on. That's what the religious leaders were doing. And, and John saw right through them. Uh, he, he looked at them, and he says, look, don't tell me that you're a child of Abraham. Don't tell me that you have Abraham as your father. He said, God could raise up children of Abraham from these stones. He said, it's not your descendancy from Abraham that's matter. It's are you faithful like Abraham? He's not looking for those who are physically related to Abraham. He's looking for those who are spiritually related to Abraham. God is saying, I think what God is saying through this passage is that if you're depending upon church history and you're depending upon family history to get you into heaven, you've got a strange uh, theology. History doesn't change it. The, the, the fact that mama was a Christian, that grandpa was the greatest man I ever knew, does not affect your relationship with Jesus unless you have a personal relationship with him. Don't count on your ancestry. So you've got, you got this inside you, the interior well-being that you have, the fruit of the Spirit. But I think it also reveals itself ex in the exterior. Luke's gospel adds something to this story that Matthew doesn't give it. After John had made this statement with the leaders, matter of fact, he says the axe is already at the root of the trees and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Every tree that doesn't produce fruit, good fruit, will be cut down. He says the axe is already at the root. After he says that, the people hearing what he says to the leaders, uh, they ask this question, what must we do what must we do? Notice what they did not say. They did not say, what must we feel? What must we think? They said, what must we do? Did you know that your relationship with Jesus leads you to do something? It leads you to do something? And then John goes on and he tells them in a nutshell, in in Luke chapter 3, verses 11 through 14, he says, Be generous. Treat people fairly. Demonstrate justice. Don't falsely accuse people. And be content with what you have. Now, it's not an exhaustive list by any means. Because obviously he doesn't say love one another. John's not trying to give us a check out. Okay, I've got this, I've got this. You know what you, that's called legalism. You check it off. He, he's basically saying that that. When you have a relationship with Christ, when you've confessed and you've repented, you will begin to produce the right kind of fruit. In other words, it will be revealed in your actions. 
Your relationship with Jesus is revealed in the way you live, the way you behave, and the things that you do. Think about it in the real world. Let's just bring it down to the nuts and bolts of life. If you had a job or you have a job and you do not produce, guess what? You're going to get fired. Think about if you're, you're, you're playing on a, on, a, on a football team and you're a sorry player and you do not produce, you're probably never going to play and you're probably going to get kicked off the team. Let's look at a student who's in school. You're a student, you're in school, but you never do any classwork, you never do any homework, you're going to fail the class. That's the way it is in life. John is saying, John is saying, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, are y'all with me now? Okay, John is saying that if you don't produce fruit. You see where this is going, don't you? If you don't produce fruit, it's probably evidence that you've never confessed and you've never repented. And he says, God will have no part with you in his kingdom. That's what he says. He said, he'll have nothing to do with you. Why? Because the axe is already at the roots. He's already about to cut you away. Why? Because you're a tree that's not producing fruit. Is what John says. So let me ask you a question. Are you ready for Christmas? Are you ready to meet your Savior? Are you ready to meet your Lord? You can start by preparing and clearing out all that is in the way of you experiencing the Christ of Christmas this Christmas season. You do that by confessing your sins, by repenting of your sins, changing your life, and then going out and producing fruit for His glory and for His honor and so that His name may be proclaimed in the world. I know there are those that are here that need to seek the Lord this morning. You need to have an intimate relationship with Him. You may not be a Christian. I don't know your heart. I know your church attendance. But John said, don't count on your religion. Don't count on your name being on the rolls of the church to get you into heaven. The only thing that's going to get you into heaven is Jesus Christ. There's some of you that you may be a Christian, probably are a Christian, but you've got to clean some things up. You've got to get some things right in your heart. You've got anger or animosity toward a brother or a sister in Christ. You're frustrated with your, your situation in life. You have hatred toward a brother or a sister. How can you expect Christ to come in the midst of Christmas when we can't even get it right between us or between somebody else, somebody that hurt you years ago, and you still harbor 
anger and resentment toward that person. A boss, a teacher, a family member, a brother or sister in Christ. Maybe you're a Christian, you have unconfessed sin in your life, and you're tired of the game. You're tired of just confessing the sin over and over and over and over, and you never seem like you get released. You never seem like you, you find peace that surpasses understanding. Seek the Lord and repent. But maybe also, maybe you need to come up during the moment we're going to have the invitation. Maybe you need to come and confess a sin. Not necessary to me. I'm not your priest. But maybe you need to bring somebody with you. And you need to come up here and you need to pray. Tell that person, I'm struggling with this. Would you pray for me? Would you pray with me in this? Maybe you want to pray with me. Maybe you want to pray with Marcy. This is the most important time that we have this morning. Is not listening to the choir. Not singing the songs. Not giving our offering. Not even listening to the exposition of Scripture. It's about responding to the invitation. It's about responding to the time that God gives you to make a decision for Him. In a moment, we're going to have a time of invitation. I'll give you an opportunity to respond so that you can get ready for Christmas. And I want you to know this. The Lord is waiting. The old song, the Savior is waiting to enter your heart. Why don't you let him come in? Whatever decision you make, we're going to invite you to come. Kip's going to come and lead us. Cassie's going to come and play. Marcy's going to make her way down from the back. I'll be here at the front as well. These steps are open for you to come and kneel and pray. You do not have to. Because I know what you're thinking. Because we are so prone to think this. If we come up and bring somebody with us, we'll go, well, I wonder what they're confessing. You know what you need? You need to confess that to God. Say, God, I'm prone to be judgmental about what other people are confessing. Instead, instead, when somebody comes up, you ought to be saying, God, help them. God, help them in the midst of their difficulty. God, would you comfort them? Would you strengthen them? God, would you wrap your loving arms around them that they may deal with this and they may know, God, that they're loved and they're cared for and that you have not forsaken them. And let he who is without sin cast the first stone. Don't be afraid to come up here. And don't do it because you feel compelled to do it unless it's compelled by the Holy Spirit, not because of the preacher. Would you stand with me? As I lead us in prayer, Marcy makes her way down. Kip and Cassie come to play. Father, we come before you this morning thanking you, Lord, for this opportunity we have to gather together. God, we do want to get ready for Christmas. I think so many times, Father, in the hustle and bustle of the season, we get so wrapped up, Father, in getting our presents bought, Father, getting our homes decorated, Father, getting all the, the, the cards out, Father, getting all the shopping done, getting everything done, Father. And Father, when Christmas gets there, we just say, thank God that's over with. And we never stop and step back and ask ourselves, am I really preparing myself to experience 
the babe of Bethlehem this year. The Christ of Christmas. Because Father, when we do that, Lord, it will prepare us for a whole new year. To live for You. To work for You. To serve for You. To give what we have. Father, to love one another more deeply. God, help us to be ready for Christmas this season. We give you this time, Father, for this invitation. Father, touch our hearts, touch our minds. Father, touch our spirits. That, Father, we can be one with you and one with one another. For it's in Jesus' name that I pray and for his glory. Amen.